Welcome everyone to this edition of Connected by Community. I'm Brian Ballantyne and I'm joined with Anthony Concheco from Ballantyne Capital Advisors. Uh, and we're joined here today by Lisa Lane and Susan Sachs from Project Hope Foundation. Lisa, Susan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. And after joking how all of our names are relatively simple, <laughs> I don't think I butchered that. You did very well. well. You did so good. For we all, didn't mess all, you up. all of our audience, we've had a lot of folks here, and uh, sometimes names are difficult. Um, and when you have some of the Southern dialect that I still have, uh, it can be difficult. So appreciate it. job. Thank you. You do not sound Southern to me. <laughs> well, Listen I'll to say, me. <laughs> well, you got some Southern. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> you know, it's funny. This is totally not what we're here to talk about. But while we're on that subject, I never realized I had an accent until I lived in California for a short time. Um, I actually went to school out in Fresno State way back, you know, when Moses was here and um, <laughs> that lovely stuff. And back then I was single at that time. It was a nice way to meet ladies because I didn't know I had an accent. People would come up to me, especially the young ladies and say, where are you from? <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Uh, yep. You all have accents to me, just so, <laughs> just, just so we're clear. Just so we're clear. I think in our situation, you're the one with the accent. <laughs> we should be talking to him. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's not what this podcast is here about today, but thanks, audience, for being patient with our fun with that. So um, I guess, first of all, before we dry, uh, dive into what you guys do and uh, what the foundation's all about, tell us a little bit about yourself. Kind of, uh, are you from this area, moved to this area, kids, no kids, family, that kind of stuff? And that is part of our story, really. <laughs> so, uh, yes. so I'm Lisa Lane, and uh, I am from South Carolina, grew up on the other side of the state, and then moved here. Used to be a lawyer a long time back and then uh, became part of a nonprofit organization when my younger son was born and uh, we discovered that he had autism. So I've got two kids. My older one, Rickson, has given me two beautiful grandchildren. So that's a lot of fun. And then Colby is 27. Awesome. What about you? So I am also from South Carolina, but um, from the Aiken area. I always tell my husband I married him just so I could move to Greenville because I love Greenville. I have one son, Michael, who will soon be 30. And um, we met, as Lisa said, because of autism. That is, is our story. Now, in addition to Michael, I do have a beautiful dog dog and cat. So there's my other two kids. So um, I understand how that goes. But I'm a social worker by trade and had a number of years in business working in telecommunications. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about Project Hope. How did it get started? You both shared, I think you had children with uh, autism, but how did you guys get started on this project? And uh, and maybe not the whole story, but where, where you are today before we kind of dive deeper into, into what you do. Well, we started 25 years ago. This oh, is my. our 25th year celebration. Awesome. So we are very excited to have made it through 25 years. Yeah. And as Susan said, we met as moms who had young children who had recently been d diagnosed with autism. And at that time, there were just no services available. And so we did not know one another. We, we got together yeah. looking at a therapy yeah. Yeah. Uh, that we, we decided we needed for our boys. And from that was born this local nonprofit that has lasted now 25 years. Which is unusual. And in the nonprofit world, 10 years for a, a local nonprofit is, is pretty good, uh, which speaks I think, um, to the need. The, when we started, autism was relatively rare. Uh, most of the initial talks that we gave were educating people about what is autism, what is the impact. Today, 
autism is one in 44. So it's it's really reached pretty much an epidemic proportion on occurrences. So we, um, our, the need for what we do has grown astronomically, so we have grown. We're now uh, an organization with eight campuses. We have campuses throughout the upstate and one in Greenwood because it's not always easy for families to go to one place. So we try to be convenient to families so that we can provide those services. Our therapy program, which is our largest program, we serve about 225 kids every day in that program. It's called Applied Behavior Analysis. So it's an intensive one-on-one therapy, a therapist working with a child, doing lots of fun, interactive teaching opportunities. Um, the goal of that is is to help them to learn the skills that they need to be able to live a happy, productive life and to, to get rid of those or to minimize those skills or those traits that make it hard for them to to be into in normal, regular, everyday activities. So we have our therapy program, mm-hmm. and then we have three other programs. We've got a school. We've got our own accredited school, yes. kindergarten through high school. And then we also support students in local private and public schools. Uh, so we serve, I think, about 150 in those arenas. And then we have an adult program yes. that is uh, providing a number of, of adults with paid employment. We have our own T-shirt p- printing business, digital T-shirt printing business. So plug there, printed by Hope. And no then, job uh, too small, no job too large. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and then we have a, a community engagement uh, piece, things like this, where we get to talk to people about what autism is and what the treatments are and what the needs are and advocacy because we need support. As Susan said, with one in 44 as the current number, we, we need to prepare to, to support this population across the spectrum. It is a spectrum. So people are affected in different ways, always in communication and social interaction and behaviors, but to different degrees. So we need to, to provide the proper supports across that spectrum. I, I was just asked a question. Uh, what is autism? Because I you see a lot of different definitions. So. Right. I'd love to know from professionals what... It's really considered a neurodevelopmental disorder that affects the person's ability to communicate always to some degree, whether that is being able to talk. Over 40% of the folks on the spectrum are completely nonverbal. They will never speak. Uh, Then we also have those who, they may be have good language, but they're not conversational. They talk at you, not really with you. It also affects one's ability to interact with the world and with people around them. And almost everyone on the spectrum has some behavioral challenge, whether it's just an obsessive trait, whereas they're constantly tapping something or stemming or something as uh, difficult as self-injurious behavior. But it's a neurodevelopmental disorder. And it's diagnosed through symptoms. So yes. that makes it really hard. Yes. Mm-hmm. So for those with young children, uh, you usually have a period of typical development. And then somewhere in that 10 to 18 month period, you either start seeing a regression or a lack of developing skills. Yes. So it's, it's really tough. Uh, families have to notice that something's wrong. Typically, one parent does. The other parent says, let's give it some time. Then you've got to go to a pediatrician. The pediatrician then has to refer you to a developmental pediatrician. There are far too few of them. So there's a, a delay there. And so it's a, it's a process. The average age of diagnosis is four, even though we have symptoms showing up you know, years earlier. And the, and the sad statistic on that is that the quicker we can 
get that diagnosis and begin treatment, the better the outcomes. We know that if we can begin to serve a child before the age of three, we're going to see significantly better outcomes than later. Always we will see outcomes. Always we will see improvements. But the biggest bang is if we can get them before age three. Yeah, th- this therapy is magical almost. I mean, it's it's using very simple things mm-hmm. that most parents and teachers know about. It's, a, it's heavily based in reinforcement and, and going through uh, trials of things, giving repetitions of things, and then shaping up uh, that those answers. So it's it's uh, things that we're all familiar with, but it's done in a very structured way. It's very um, data-driven, but the results are, are truly amazing. So a lot of those nonverbal kids end up being able to communicate, some verbally and, and some with communication devices, but still able to communicate. I have two young girls. I would just love to know what, what are some things that as parents, what we should be sort of looking at, I have kids under the age of four, what should we be sort of? One of the first things that we look at is, do they make eye contact? That's that's one of the cues. Again, not every child is the same. So you can't say you need these five things. So eye contact, not answering when you call their name, Uh, listening and hearing something, but not you calling to them. A lot of folks look at that inability to play appropriately with toys instead of uh, correct play, like taking a rattle and shaking it or running a car back and forth, maybe turning something and looking at it or moving an object back and forth, lining toys up uh, across the window ledge, which is what my son did a lot. So you're looking for those behaviors that are just not quite what you would see. Slow language development, um, one of the things some of our kids experience is something called low tone. They don't walk at on, on time. But you can't look at that either. It's a, it, again, it is truly an individualized individ, it's an individualized disability. Do you think with that I'm curious well I, I bet I'm about, I guess I'm asking. I'm trying to I'm, I'm stumbling here. Are there parents that both overreact and parents that underreact to these symptoms that they may see? You overreact. I was going to say nobody wants nobody that. Nobody wants to see this. <laughs> no. um, now, you know, certainly the the problem is these are behaviors that almost every child shows at some mm-hmm. point or another. But the, what happens is that these are getting in the way of development exactly. of life, um, like failure to use gestures. You know, I don't point to say, you know, look at this, Dad, to share something with us. So it is. It's really hard um, to to know when do I go and w- when do I step forward and, and raise some questions. But we encourage anyone that has any any concerns, any doubts, just to raise that. Most pediatricians are checking. Uh, there's a checklist that they can look at. But um, you know, if you see something, parents parents know their children. So if you see something early Absolutely. on, uh, that checklist doesn't usually come until about 18 months. And often you see things that just you just know that's not quite right. Don't ever hesitate to ask. So if a parent, so let's just say they didn't for whatever reason, because like you said, no one wants this to be the case, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and I'm assuming 
early interventions better, as you've already said. Absolutely. You know, but what happens? You make it to five, six, seven, eight, maybe even later. Uh, what What's the difference as you see in, 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 in the treatments that are available for what I'd call older children than younger uh, and why it's so critical for we, these parents we use to, the, to take action? Yeah. We use the same treatment, this applied behavior analysis, ABA, which is evidence-based. It's, it's the best thing we've got out there right now. Variations of it exist, so some variation mm-hmm. of it. And, and you can use that across any age. We, we use those same, same strategies with our adults. Um, your, your wives probably use it with you and you probably <laughs> use it with your children. It's, it's that sort of thing of, of shaping up behaviors to get to skills. But, um, but it's just the gap gets bigger. And again, you don't want to say that at a certain age, you're not going to make gains. You will. You can. But, you know, where you're trying to play catch up at three is a lot of different, is much different than when you're trying to play catch up at 10. So it's just, um, it's helpful to get them in as quickly as we can. Typically, if a child is not being diagnosed until later in life, the symptomology is just a little bit different. It tends to evidence itself more in those social challenges. Um, your child doesn't know how to play with other kids, or they don't know how to have good conversation with other kids. They're not interested in what somebody else has to say. They just want to share whatever that interest is that they have at that point in time. So often the later it is, it's more of those social issues with some probably communication built into it. So I'm curious, you know, you said now it's one in 44, if I remember that number right. and, and I don't know the science behind it like you guys might. Has it just not been diagnosed? And are you now also seeing adults that never got diagnosed as children being diagnosed? In other words, if, if we're seeing young children diagnosed at a higher rate, is it really an increase or is it a misdiagnosis from earlier or a combination? I think it's both. There is an increase. Yeah, um, of Susan and I believe we have definitely seen that, that the, that the numbers bear that out. Um, that there is a, a an actual increase in incident, but there are adults now, and the, and the the criteria have have been shaped up over several different um, iterations of the of the protocol. So there are adults that are realizing, or or people who work with certain adults or families may say that makes sense now as to why life has been hard for this particular person. Um, so there's there's a little bit of all of that going on. Um, we, but is there an increase? Yes, there is an increase. There definitely is an increase. And it, we don't know why. <clears throat> Good. Go I was going to just ask, are, are there programs for, you know, you're treating the, the young kids with autism, but is there programs for the family? Uh, that's got to be tough for them, even other siblings as well. We, you can't just, <clears throat> if you're going to have success, you're not just treating the child. You are treating the family. We are very focused on the family as well as the individual. In fact, we have family, um, an intervention that we use with our families, family training or family guidance to help that family through. Because if, if we're teaching skills and shaping skills in our clinical setting or uh, in the school setting, it's not going to really stick unless the parent is following following through at home. So you've got to generalize those skills. So we work very hard with the parent to show them what to do. We are so happy that COVID has gotten well better enough now that we are back to having monthly team meetings where we're sitting down with those families and with the, the therapy team to say, Okay, let's talk about what's happening at home. What is the what is the biggest challenge for you at home? What would make life better for you at home? Which that's going to vary by the individual's age. And then we work on those skills in a clinical setting and we demonstrate what we're doing because it family is important. 
siblings are important. We include them in everything we do if that is what the family wants us to do. It's very much driven by family need and family desire. Because you're right. It, it impacts yes. the family dynamic dramatically. You know, we have many families who become very isolated. Mm-hmm. They don't go out because they don't know, they don't have any sense of the predictability of that their their loved one's behavior in a social circumstance. As Susan said, the sensory can be a really difficult thing for folks on the spectrum. So you're sitting in a restaurant, a baby starts crying. That may trigger a meltdown that um, then creates a, a, a struggle for the whole family to know how to what to do. Um, if you've got a, a sibling who wants to play and the 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 person on the spectrum doesn't know how to engage, it's a little bit hard not to take that personally, emotionally, even though you know logically why that's why that's happening. So it, it's important to get everybody on board. Do you think the public is more aware than maybe they were even just a decade ago? Oh absolutely. Absolutely. I think one one wonderful thing, but it also creates some some issues, is that there's much more coverage of um, autistic people on television. So you've got yes. the good doctor. You know, at one point, Rain Man was what people knew. Right. Now it's, you know, the good doctor and atypical. There's love on the spectrum. Uh, there's as we the, see as it. As we yeah. see it. Which is a great series. All really good and helpful depictions, but it's just important for people to remember it's a spectrum. Mm-hmm. So you've got that group who are struggling with social interaction and the nuances of conversation, but you've also got folks who are trying to get basic communication and self-help skills. And um, so it's it, it's a it's a interesting and um, and maddening spectrum in a lot of ways because everyone has issues and those issues are are difficult, challenging. Um, wherever you are on the spectrum, but they can be quite different. One thing that you mentioned way back when we kind of started, I want to ask a little more about, you mentioned a school. So is this a private school and what does it do and where is it located? Tell me a little bit about that. Our school program was the first program that we started with. And we now serve um, preschool up through high school. It is an accredited school. We have a diploma program, but we are all autism. We serve um across the spectrum on that as well. What we've tried to do in our school program, which is located in an absolutely gorgeous facility in Landrum that was donated to us and is 44 acres right at the the mountains. It's absolutely gorgeous. Is our goal is to not is to serve a variety in a variety of ways. So we have what we call tiers of classrooms. Uh, a child can be diploma bound and you're not going to know this when you start out. You're just not going to know that. That is emerging over time. But we are prepared to provide a mainstream experience with the goal of moving them out into another school. Lisa mentioned earlier that we work with other public and private schools providing support within their classrooms because our ultimate success is to get that kid out into mainstream life. We also have supportive classrooms and different tiers of that as well, where we're focusing on the individualized needs of the child. So we have our main campuses in Landrum. We also have classrooms in Spartanburg, and we have classrooms in our Woodruff facility. We're either working them toward a diploma or we will be working toward helping them to find a job and to to live as independently as possible. And how many kids are, are part of that program? Currently, we're serving about 65 kids uh, with the ability to grow. We have a sh- it took a shift in the last few years and focus in that we now serve exclusively kids on the spectrum. We used to do some um, inclusion as well, but the need was just so great for the kids 
on the spectrum who could not find other locations to go to that we we have, have an autism focus now. But we do provide a lot of peer interaction. We're we're providing that mainstream experience, that same the same curriculum that they would be getting in another school they're getting with us. So that they will be prepared to move to another school if that is a possible outcome. And then I think we're over a hundred students that we're helping in yes. other classroom yes. settings. So, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, if I understood right from our earlier conversation, too, this is your 25th year. Is that right? It is. So any special things planned this year? Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for asking. (laughs) Well, we are excited that we'll be having our Evening of Hope, which is a a fabulous gala with a live auction, silent auction, and the opportunity to give. We haven't been able to have it for the past two years. 2019 was the last one. And that is a huge boost to us uh, emotionally as well as financially. So we are going to be celebrating in a big way on May 7th. And uh, we're we're making our plans now to to have lots of 25th celebrations in conjunction with that existing event. We update our website, Project Hope SC, all the time. We're on Facebook, so we're constantly updating what we're doing with that event. It is we'll have about 600 folks typically attending it, and it's we believe in fun raising, not just <laughs> fund raising. And this 25th anniversary really gives us an opportunity to celebrate a lot of what has happened over the past 25 years. Sounds like you guys have impacted a lot of folks in the community over 25 years. We try. That's awesome. Do do you know yet where it's going to be, or are you still working on that? It's going to be at the Greenville Convention Center. Okay. And uh, we will be posting on our website, projecthopesc.org, sponsorship opportunities, the ability to to buy tickets and tables, and we're always looking for great auction items to, to to have as part of our fund. So we will have lots of information on that and on our social media. So we're on uh, Facebook and, and on uh, Instagram. If anybody has a great live auction item they would like to donate to us, we would gratefully receive that. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, our audience is awesome. So maybe we'll see if we can't pull something out of <laughs> well, it. It's a great. fun night. We hope, we hope people will come and join us. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a signature question that we typically ask everybody, and, and it's usually what makes you tick? What makes you get going in the morning? The clients we serve. I, how do you not look in those faces and not get excited to be there every day, knowing that what you do is changing lives? All I have to do is look at my son every morning, and I remember why I'm doing this. That's awesome. Yeah. Same uh, statistics and stories. You know, we're data driven, so we can show we can show on paper that upward trend of people gaining skills and the decrease of of, of behaviors that are interfering with their lives. And then just to get those stories, you know, the first first sentence of someone who's, you know, a a young adult, first time they've ever spoken a whole sentence or first time a family gets to sit down at a restaurant together, you know, first time. you know, for me, my, my younger son was able to participate in my older son's wedding and say a blessing. He was nonverbal till age eight. So a lot of, lot of great stories. I, I can only imagine the impact you're having on, on yourself and others. So that's awesome. Thank so you. you shared a minute ago where you're going to have information about or the 25th anniversary. I'm not sure if that's the same place, but maybe tell our audience if they wanted to either get involved to help 
and or if they needed your services, where they could specifically find more information uh, about you guys and what you do. Sure. Everything is on our website. So Project Hope SC, like South Carolina dot org. And uh, we we hope that that it's easy to find, but you will be able to reach out to Susan or to me. And there's a section for if you're looking for employment, just another plug, we need to hire therapists. Uh, so we're looking for, for people who want to make a difference while they're making a living, and we will do the training. It's a wonderful pathway, and we do have that growth for folks who want to, to move through this discipline. We've got a place for you to give. We've got a place for you to apply for services. So I think everything's right there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks, both of you guys, for coming out, and I've learned something here, which is always a good part of this, and hopefully our audience <laughs> did too. And I wish you success in your uh, 25th year Thank you. Uh, Thank here you. in the community. Thanks Thank again. Thank you so much. We appreciate being invited to be here. Absolutely. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us for this edition. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, links, LinkedIn, Instagram, and all the other various podcast platforms. Until we see you next time, go out and make our community great. All information during this podcast is for discussion purposes only, should not be construed as advice. Please seek the advice of appropriate professionals before acting on anything in this podcast. Past performance is not an indicator of future results. Securities through Tried Advisors, LLC member FINRA. Advisor services through Ballantine Capital Advisors, Inc., Tried Advisors, and Ballantine Capital Advisors are not affiliates.